Greetings, everyone. Welcome back. I'll be honest. I never know how to begin these things. I don't want to say good morning because though some of you listen in the morning, some of you also listen in the evening. So do I say good night? Well, that doesn't make sense to the people who listen in the morning either, does it? Well, I guess that's okay. Hey, how you doing today? You doing well? Look, we're going to finish chapter 10 today. So we will be 10 out of 24, 10 24ths of the way through. Wait, you can't do that. You got to break down the fraction, right? So 10 divided by 2 is 5. 5 twelfths of the way through. How's that for a fraction? We're getting closer. I'm having fun. I hope you are too. Uh, But welcome back. All right, really, it's good to be here. And, you know, I was thinking about this today in preparation. And really, this goes along with what I'll be talking about during our uh, Advent services here at Christ Lutheran Gordonville. It's talking about uh, these spiritual disciplines being in prayer as well as reading the scripture. It's not easy, is it? And I know that, which is why I'm so thankful that you have been listening, that you've been participating. And I pray that as you might be struggling at times, that, that well, you're blessed. I pray that you are. And I pray that you are able to keep persevering, uh, not just through this episode, but uh, through the entire book. And pray for me. Pray that I'll get through all this as well, right? This is a kind of a busy time, but no, we're good. Uh, it's hard though. It really is. It's tough. There's always a spiritual battle when it comes to things like this. That's why it is hard. In chapter 10, we see that. We see that Jesus is sending out those 72 disciples. Remember, it was 12 before. Now it's the 72. It seems like the outreach has broadened a little bit. And he did the same thing, sending them out, right, with no knapsack, no sandals. Don't greet anyone on the road. Get there. And if people give you something to eat, eat it. Um, Be blessed while you're there. If not, shake off the sand of your feet. Don't take anything from that da- that town with you, not even uh, the sand that might be on your feet, right? But then they come back. Uh, they come back to Jesus and they're excited, right? Though it's a spiritual battle, they're excited because they've cast out the demons. Now, of course, it's not them. It's Jesus. They even say that in verse uh, 17. It says the 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in, how are they subject? in your name. That's the crazy thing about it, right? That's the reality of it. If Jesus' name is present, the evil one can't remain. It's that simple. But at the same time, it's so hard for us, isn't it? Because he's there. It's a constant battle. Open up the word of God and your eyes start closing, right? (laughs) You start thinking about other things. Hey, what's on TV? You start praying and all of a sudden, oh, I become overwhelmed with, with being tired. It's a battle. It's a battle. The evil one doesn't want the truth uh, to be present in your life. But hey, keep going. Keep doing it. Of these 72, they go out. They do what God has called them to do. And they come back, they're rejoicing that they have this uh, authority. But then Jesus says something very interesting. He says, don't rejoice or don't be happy that you've seen these things happen. Instead, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that you have peace with God. See, this is the bigger picture, isn't it? This is why in the last chapter, he talked about how he must be given over, how he must be crucified. That's what he is seeking to accomplish So much more than just having the authority over the evil one. He already has that. 
But Jesus has come to, to, to bring you and I life in his name. That's why we should be excited. That we actually have a future. We actually have a hope beyond this world. That is such great news. That's worth rejoicing in. But you know, he also says something else at the beginning of this text here. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, right? There's, there's a lot of places to go. A lot of people that don't know who Jesus is, but the problem is there aren't a lot of people to go and, and share that name, to be a part of the harvest, to take part of it. Therefore, pray, pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. I mean, I want you to think about that for a moment. For people to know who Jesus is, there has to be someone to proclaim Jesus. That's how Jesus works, right? He works through us. He works through people. He works through you and, and me. And I'll be honest, here in Southeast Missouri, we've taken some hits in terms of pastors, haven't we? They've taken calls elsewhere. And I know it's hard for some of these churches right now to find pastors to serve. It's difficult. Pray. Pray for these pastors to be raised up. In fact, while you're at it, right now be thinking of some of those individuals who are 8, 9, 10 years old. Ask them if they've ever thought about going into the ministry, being a pastor. I can tell you that's how it started with me. I never would have dreamed of it, never even would have thought about it, given it a second chance, except the DCE when I was going through confirmation said, Jacob, I think you'd be good at this. I don't know if I am. But she said it. You should consider this. I think this would be good for you. I don't know if I ever would have. Except she encouraged me. Who might you encourage? I bet there's someone in your mind right now that you're thinking, you know what? One day when they get older, I think they'd be a good pastor. Maybe it's your child. It could very well be. But of course, there's the other side of it. It can be more than just pastors, right? You can share the word of God and not be a pastor. Maybe the Lord is calling you to be a part of the ministry, to be out in the harvest. Who can you talk to about Jesus? Pastors can't be everywhere. We're called to encourage the church, right? To proclaim God's word, to announce the good news of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins. But really, truthfully, uh, some of you who I know aren't church workers, you know a lot more unbelievers than I do. The people I work with are in the church predominantly. The Lord could be using you right now to be in the field. Who do you have in mind? Maybe I'll challenge you on that. Pray about it. Who do you have in your mind that maybe they don't know Jesus or they don't have a relationship that pray for the Lord to work in that relationship? Mm, pray. I apologize. Maybe that's a little bit of a soapbox, but in fact, I had a parent come to me just recently. They said, you know what? I just wish more people encouraged my child to be in the ministry. They hear of teachers talking about being, well, teachers, which is good. We need teachers. Absolutely. Especially good, godly teachers. That's such an important aspect of forming and shaping our children. We want them to be teachers or carpenters. We want them to go to college. Why don't teachers, especially in private sectors, private schools, why don't they uh, offer children to go into the ministry or talk about that a little bit? Maybe we should. I don't know. But anyway, Jesus says pray. 
Pray for the, uh, the harvest and that workers would be raised up. But going on from there, right? This is actually kind of a short chapter, so I guess I could be on a little bit of a soapbox. Um, but going on from there, we get into this uh, popular story of the Good Samaritan, one that, that probably many of us know well. And that's a good thing, right? Because sometimes when we know a story well, it allows for us to maybe hear some of the other things going on in, in a different light, perhaps. Um, the story of the Good Samaritan is uh, one that starts off really with the meaning for why it's being told. What do I mean by that? Well, there's a lawyer that stood up and was testing Jesus. Teacher, what must I do? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Of course, Jesus says, what, what's written? What does the law say about it? And he answered, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this. You'll live. Ah, but listen to this next part here. This is good. But he, the man, desiring to do what? The man wants to justify himself. So he says to Jesus, then who is my neighbor? See, if that's the goal, if I have to love somebody, if I have to love my neighbor, Tell me who it is so that I can make sure that I am doing everything I can to love that neighbor. So that's why he goes into this parable, this short story, right? And uh, this parable of the Good Samaritan is a tough one for any good Jew to hear. The Jews really frowned upon the Samaritans. The Samaritans had some Jewish heritage, but it really was an adulterated form in their eyes uh, through a lot of intermarriages and the like. They weren't looked at as being pure Jews. And there was a long-standing hostility that uh, existed between both the Jews and the Samaritans. They didn't get along, right? If you remember earlier in our reading, um, in fact, it was from last uh, time, chapter 9, Jesus was driven out by the Samaritans because he was talking about going and worshiping at the temple. So uh, they didn't like the Jews. The Jews didn't like the Samaritans, right? So it's very interesting that Jesus would use this Samaritan to be the hero in the situation. You all know the story, I'm sure, but just brief summary. A man was going down the road. He was beaten by robbers. A priest was going down the road, saw him lying there, didn't do anything about it. In fact, he went to the other side. Levite did the exact same thing. The kind of people that you thought would do something, the priestly group. But then you have this Samaritan, the one that's supposed to be at war with you. And what does he do? He actually helps the individual up. He gets him up, takes him somewhere for his uh, wounds to be provided for, oil on him, uh, and all that other stuff. But then he, he takes two denarii out of his pocket. Now, that might not mean anything to you, but two denarii, that's about two days wages. Can you imagine that? working for two days straight, but taking that pay and providing it for somebody else, but not just anybody else, your sworn enemy. Who does that? Who takes what's rightfully theirs and gives it to somebody that they, that they hate, or at the very least, one that's, that's your enemy? We have this kind of story that's taking place And then Jesus says, you go do likewise. I think what we need to understand here is that when Jesus uses this parable for this individual who wants to justify himself, what we're finding is it's impossible for a person to be able to justify themselves. 
We might live this way once, twice, maybe. But to live our entire lives loving our enemies, sacrificially this way, loving every person as our neighbor in this kind of a manner, that's beyond what we are capable of doing, isn't it? We can't justify ourselves. There has to be someone outside of us who is going to justify us. That's what this text is supposed to be doing, isn't it? Showing us that we're in trouble. We can't do this. Ah, but there's an answer. It comes in the form of Martha and Mary. Now, these two welcomed Jesus into their home. Uh, Mary is the one that's sitting at the Lord's feet, right? She's listening to him teach. And, you know, from an outsider looking in at this particular point, especially in this day, maybe a little scandalous to have this young girl uh, kind of hanging on every word that Jesus has to say. But Martha is doing what women were supposed to be doing. I don't mean this in a chauvinistic way. That was just the culture. She's mad, though. I mean, I'm sure she'd rather hear Jesus talk, but this is what has to be done. And Martha's doing all of it. She's doing all the work while her sister's sitting there being a bump on a log. Jesus, she's listening to everything you're saying. Please go tell my sister to help me. See, she's being busy. She's doing a lot of things, right? We've got to be doing things all the time. What can I do to inherit eternal life? It doesn't say that Martha is thinking that she's inheriting eternal life, but we get so busy. We get so focused on the wrong thing. Doing, doing, doing. What does the Lord say? Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. One thing. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her, will not be taken away. Mary has chosen to sit at the feet of Jesus and hang on every single word that he says. Because that's where you find life. You don't find it in what you do, but it's good to do good things, sure. Where you find life, the thing that's the most important thing, it's not the meal that, that she was preparing. That's nice that she wanted to make a good meal. She wanted to serve the Lord, but what's more important than that? The Lord's word and the way that he serves us. Because that's where we find life. That's where we hear about the good news of the kingdom of God. That's why we pray for the Lord of the harvest to send workers out into the field so that all of us, me included, can continue to hear about the good news of Jesus from others. Well, I'll see you again tomorrow where we will be 11 24ths of the way through. And I promise no more fractions. All right. Have a great day, everybody.